So who among us is not horrified and deeply saddened by the U.S. policy of separating children from their parents at the U.S. border? As Jews, we know all too well what happens when human beings are declared illegal and children are ripped from the arms of their parents. If the definition of empathy is to imagine yourself in another person's shoes, then as a parent, I have had many restless nights these past few weeks imagining who would help my own child tie their shoes or wipe their tears if they were forcibly separated from me in a strange country, surrounded by chain-link fencing, sleeping on cold concrete floors with nothing more than a gym mat and a mylar blanket to give them comfort. Such images, they overpower me. I also know the inefficacy of shouting south of the border from this pulpit. It's not that you wouldn't raise your voices with mine. I know that many of you would. But what good does it do? We might feel better. It could be a bit cathartic. But it won't change anything. As Prime Minister Trudeau recently observed, this is not how we do it in Canada. Add it to the list. While I cannot change U.S. immigration policy from Vancouver, I join in proud solidarity with my U.S. clergy colleagues who are on the front lines of this human rights issue. But there is a broader issue, a broader issue that I believe I can address with us tonight, one that has important implications not only for the immigration debate, but in all instances where the words of Torah and the Bible more broadly are used to justify public policy or to silence assent. Earlier this month, the U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions used a quote from the Christian Bible, commonly referred to as the New Testament, to support the brutal separation of children and their parents. He said this during a speech in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and at that speech, Sessions remarked, and I'm quoting, I would cite to you the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. Orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves and protect the weak and the lawful. Press Secretary to the President of the United States, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, supported this idea of a biblical mandate for lawfulness when she answered a question about the Attorney General's remarks by saying, and quoting again, I am not aware of the Attorney General's comments or what he would be referencing, but I can say that it is a very biblical thing to enforce the law. That's actually repeated a number of times throughout the Bible. The statement by Mr. Sessions and the support of it by Ms. Sanders is not the first use of that particular quote from the Christian Bible to justify a government action. It is, in fact, by my count, the fourth time that that exact quote has been cited to somehow connect God's will with horrible behavior by a government. The first time was when it was used just before the American Civil War, when Southern pastors quoted the passage to justify the slavery of African Americans. The second time was in July of 1933, during Hitler's first summer in power, 
when a young German pastor named Joachim Hassenfelder preached a sermon in the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church in Berlin. Dina Kraft, writing for Haaretz, quoted the following. He's used the words of Romans 13 to remind worshipers of the importance of obedience to those in authority. The church at that time was festooned with Nazi banners and stormtrooper flags, its pews packed with the Nazi party faithful, including men in the brown shirts of the Nazis' parliamentary movement. The third and most recent use of the quote, until just now, happened 30 years ago in South Africa, when those same words were used to justify the horrors of apartheid. And so there we have it, the rogues gallery of misguided uses of Christian biblical teaching, slavery, the Nazis, apartheid, and now American government's separation of children from their parents. What's that line with friends like these? In the hours and days since Sessions and Sanders made their comments, Christian theologians and representatives from various Christian denominations, and even one devout late-night comedian, have decried Sessions' conclusions that the practice of ripping children away from their parents is in any way a reflection of Christian doctrine. I am certain that the theologians are correct, just as I am certain that the Torah and all of the canon of Jewish law would not support such action either. Now, I make this assertion not because you can't find examples of separation of parents and children or of other heinous acts done in the Bible. Of course you can. As my colleague Rabbi Rachel Beeman wrote for an article that was published by our reform movement just yesterday, the Hebrew Bible is the product of human authors who attempted to capture cosmic truths. And that means that those texts, these texts that, that are sacred, they are a sacred account of our people's history and the compass that guides our people's journey in this world. And therefore, these sacred texts include within them the biases and the prejudices and the concerns and the beauty of humanity at its time. If you search the pages of our Torah and our Tanakh, you can find justification for all manner of human evils. I can assure you of that. But it is the responsibility of those who love the text, those who love our tradition, to look not for those verses that reflect the worst of ourselves, but instead to embrace the stories, the commandments, the truths that push us to be our better selves. There is a sloppiness, nay, an evil, to a literalist theology, one that takes one verse from the Bible and builds walls and laws and hatreds upon that verse. I'm reminded of a marquee that I once saw when I was driving through upstate New York so I was driving past a church. They all have these great sayings. We've got to get those in the Jewish community. <laughs> I was driving past a church, and the marquee read, if your religion tells you to hate other people, you're doing it wrong. As someone who loves a religion that holds the text of the Hebrew Bible as sacred, I take strong issue with anyone's attempt to use the Bible and therefore attribute to God anything but love, compassion, and empathy for the most vulnerable in society. The Bible was written by the most vulnerable people. 
in a society. It was written by refugees and outcasts. And yet 36 times in that text it says, love the stranger. Do not sully such an empathic teaching with words of xenophobia and nationalism. To do so, in my opinion, is a violation of another one of the commandments in Torah, a commandment that we share across biblical religions, to not take God's name in vain. Now, in its simplest interpretation, what Rashi calls the Peshat, to not take God's name in vain means that we shouldn't throw God's name around loosely or with insincerity. But in a larger and, I would say, perhaps deeper sense of the commandment, it instructs us not to attribute to God that which is not God's doing. To not say that God this or that God, or God did this or wants us to do that when we don't know if that is true about what God wants or did. And likewise, not to invoke God's name in support of our position or agenda when we don't know for sure if God would support that position, agenda, or action. Ibn Ezra, a great Torah scholar of the 12th century in Spain, observed that this single commandment, to not take God's name in vain, is in fact more important than all of the prohibitions that follow it in the rest of the Ten Commandments. He wrote that murder, adultery, and theft, they are circumscribed by opportunity. But the misuse of God's name, once it becomes a habit, it will grow like a cancer, and in the end, everyone's, one's every assertion will be preceded by invoking God's name. And what our society gets when this happens is not only the sins of murder and adultery and stealing, but the, these acts are being performed in the name of God, more heinous still. So that one day you get what we have, the chief law enforcement officer of the most powerful nation in the world, standing in front of the world and saying that God wants the government to separate children from their mother's arms and to incarcerate them as criminals for fleeing their own evil pharaoh. And, and that the citizens of that country should support such a law because in doing so, they are supporting God. Does it occur to such a man that the entire biblical narrative is of a people fleeing drought and famine and persecution for the promise of a new life in a new land? A people that spoke truth to power, that had to break a law to be redeemed from slavery. How dare someone link the God of the holiness code, the God that caused Abraham and Sarah to rush out to greet the stranger, or the God that punished Pharaoh for his inhumanity, or that comforted Jacob on his deathbed, how dare that God and our sacred text be used as a justification for heartless laws and the tearing of children from their mother's arms? How dare they or we, in our own Jewish fundamentalism, in our own Jewish myopic justification of anything but compassion and empathy in God's name? Our God, our God is an awesome God a loving God, a compassionate God, an empathic God. Our God is always on the side of the most vulnerable, of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. And our God is their God too because there is only one God. 
And if that is an inconvenient truth, if that doesn't fit one's politics or biases or values, then the nature of religion is to call upon us to change ourselves accordingly. God is the constant, human beings the variable. And when someone takes God's name in vain and uses it as a bludgeon against the most vulnerable, we are required to stand up and to say in one voice that while the Bible teaches us many things, above all else our tradition teaches us that every life is precious and that we are responsible for our neighbors. Rabbi Beeman ended her article with a beautiful prayer that I think captures the demand that religion places upon us, particularly at this time, particularly in these painful and contentious times. She wrote the following, she prayed the following. I pray that we will be like Eve, who was willing to risk her safe existence in order to pursue knowledge. I pray that we will be like Abraham and Sarah, who hurried to welcome strangers into their camp and rushed to prepare a meal for them. I pray that we will be like Rebecca, who was judged as remarkable because of her kindness to a traveler. I pray that we will be like Caleb, who refused to accept the pessimism of his fellow leaders and who clung to his certainty that the future could be safer, brighter, and better. I pray that we will be like Rahab, who hid strangers in her home when they, sought, when they were sought by those who wanted to harm them. And I pray that we will be like Abraham and Moses, who stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with power of the universe and confronted injustice with loud voices and sure hearts. As in fact we have done here at Temple Shalom, as we have welcomed strangers and supported our brothers and sisters who are no longer strangers from Syria and Kurdistan this past year. How dramatically different it is for our fundamental philosophy to be one of inclusion and love rather than rejection and forced separation. And here sitting with us tonight is just one result of that inclusion and love and we'll hear from them soon. I pray that we will remember Rabbi Akiva's teaching that the heart of the Torah, the verse at the very center of our scroll, at the very center of Jewish tradition, is Leviticus 19, verse 18. Let them quote that one, which says, Love your neighbor as yourself. This is my prayer. This is my prayer for all of us and for all of those who hold the Bible as a sacred text. Love your neighbor as yourself. May it be God's will. May it be our will. Amen. It's my pleasure now to invite Rabbi, to invite, I just made you a rabbi, uh, Cantor Tausik to share with us words of prayer in song. Yeah, I, 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 I
nothing of Bauer and uh, Shinhat, just that they allow us to help them settle into their home and connect with their family and to raise their son, Omed. And yet they insisted on coming to thank us, and we should thank you for allowing us to fulfill that mitzvah that appears 36 times in our sacred text. That we would be able to do this 36 more times would be only a greater blessing in our lives, but to know that we were able to connect with you and to make this lasting friendship, this incredible extension of our family, it is, I think, just what the cantor saying, it is to build this world from love. So as we come to the end of our year of sponsorship, but not the end of our relationship, Bauer and Sheenhut wanted to come and say a few words to us as a community. So, Bauer, please. Hi, everyone. We are here to thank you again, to thank Tepon Shalom, and thank... Do you hear me, Shuto? Yeah. yeah. So we came today to thank you again, thank Tepon Shalom, and thanks all of you that you gave us this opportunity to come here to Canada, and we started our new life, and we have a better future for our son. Amir. As, as June 22nd of last year, we have arrived to Canada and today we completed one year here. It was an unbelievable day. We were so happy and it was like a dream and this dream became a truth. So we'd like to thank you so much. During this year, we have been settled very well and Temple Shalom was standing with us all the time if we need anything. And uh, I had a contact with a small group, so I would like to thank all of them 
Thanks for Brenda, for Richard, for Lynn, Chava, Shell, Paula, Ria. I'm sorry if I miss if I miss any name. I would like to prepare, but I have a limited time from Rabbi Dan. <laughs> so, special thanks for our new family. Actually, many times we say that they are like Omid's grandfather and Omid's grandmother, Sheldon Cole and Frank Cole, and my new sister and brother Noli and David. So, thanks so much for you. Uh, at the beginning of this year. I had the opportunity to work with a big company, an international company, and that's because of Mr. Joel Kellner. Thanks so much for you that he recommended me to apply for that position. So I'm working now with, with in, in a good position and a good company. Thanks again, Mr. Joel, and I hope you, you will extend my contract next week. <laughs> We promise you that we will do our best. We will never disappoint you. Uh, as you said, I we would like to, to, to keep this relation and make it stronger. So thanks is a, sm is a small word, but it's meaning a lot for me. So nothing. Thanks so much. Thank you again. Shinhat would like to say just for a few words, just for half a minute. I'm sorry for her language, but during this year, all her time was with Omid, so she was going to school just for a part-time, and she spent all her time with Omid. So. Hi, everybody. I would like to thank you all of you, special, temp uh, special Temple Shalom members. Uh, thank you for uh, everything you will have uh, you have done uh, during this year for us thank you very much thank you again thank you so much the raisins working that's why we keep them around good Thank you both so very much. Um, so Temple Shalom, for those that aren't familiar, sponsored two families, the Mustafa family as well, which is a, a family with three children. And uh, they are also doing wonderfully and are settled in, uh, are employed, and their children are, are doing fantastically in school, playing soccer, have learned English, and uh, are very much a part of our Vancouver community. Um, sadly, the need to continue to do this kind of work is still ever-present, as we know, in our world, and uh, we are continuing to look for opportunities and the, the financial support and means to be able to continue to reach out and to support. If you're interested in being involved in uh, another resettlement effort, we continually get requests and appeals from those that have heard about the work that we've done and from the broader community looking for congregations like ours to sponsor refugees and families in crisis and in need, seeking asylum. If you'd like to be involved in that, please send me an email and we'll put together another team, and God willing, we'll be able to, to bring another family to Canada and to our community with lo loving and open arms. Thank you again to all who have participated in this incredible project. Uh, our service continues, page 586, we rise for Olenu. <laughs> 